The title of my message this morning is Babelfish or Babelfish because it is actually a reference, of course, from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy to a small fish which one can place in one's ear, which enables you to understand all languages. And the significance of that, of course, is related to the Tower of Babel or Babel. Um, you, can, you can pronounce it however you like. Uh, some of you can listen to me babbling. Others can listen to me babbling. That's totally up to you. Um, but before I begin, let's, let's just pray. Lord, I thank you that as your word is preached this morning, as our hearts open to hearing from you, that heaven comes to earth, that this becomes a place where we can meet with you, hear from you, and be changed by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last Sunday we actually saw that one of God's first priorities was to make a place where he could meet with mankind. We've, we, we discovered that, mind-blown, Adam was not born in the Garden of Eden. He was actually created outside of the Garden, in fact, before the Garden existed. And the Garden was actually created for man to live in and to meet with God. And so why? We discovered that in Genesis 1.27 that we're God's chosen creation and that we're created to be in right relation with him. And in Genesis 2 verse 7, we're told that we are to be governing the earth with him. So in preparation for this, God set up this place where he and his creation, us, can coexist. Uh, the only problem of, with that, of course, is that Adam and Eve stuff things up uh, right royally before we can discover what this place God has prepared for us is actually for. It's a bit like, I mean, if you're old enough, you remember a series on TV called The Great American Hero. And it was about an ordinary school teacher who is visited by aliens and they give him a, a box which has a Superman suit in it, sort of, and a book of instructions. And he's standing there quite dazed, the spaceship disappears, and as it disappears, the draft makes the instruction book fly away. And so he's stuck there with this suit and no instructions on how it works. And so you can imagine, it's, it's a comedy, <laughs> that he fumbles and bumbles his way along to discovering how to use his superpowers. And in some ways, that's, that's our, our connection with God. Adam and Eve sort of did things wrong before God could give us the complete instruction book. And so, therefore, we often bumble along in life, trying to work out what God wants us to do and work out how to actually do what we are called to do. And so we know, if we look through the Bible... We can see some of the ways that people have interacted with God. We know that Adam and Eve, for instance, walked with God in Genesis 3 verse 8. Enoch walked with God and so did Noah. We know that Abraham made sacrifices to God. We know that he made a covenant with God. We know that he was given a promise by God that he was going to be the father of many nations. We know that Moses was instructed by God out of a burning bush. Not something you see every day. We know that he was, went up to the cloud on Mount Sinai and he was given Ten Commandments. We also know that when he came down again, he went back up and then had to plead for God not to destroy his people because in the 40 days he'd been up there, they'd completely abandoned the idea of God and, and thought that worshipping cows uh, made of gold on staffs was a good idea. How you... How you uh, never mind. People 
confessed with God their, their sins to God. David, King David wrote Psalms to God. King Solomon wrote Proverbs about God. And he built a temple for God. Jesus and his disciples prayed to God. And the disciples worshipped God in the temple. The Holy Spirit enabled us to get closer to God, brought gifts of tongues, prophecy, healing, all of those gifts of the Spirit. And so we can see that lots of different things happen when we come into the presence of God. Is that fair enough? They're not all the same, are they? You have read some of the Bible. Any of the Bible? Bits of the Bible? You've heard of the Bible? Uh, if I was going to give a book review, I would say it's a, it's a good, good book to read. Don't start in Genesis. Because it, it, never mind. Okay, so, but can you see that everything that happens there is a form of communication? There's actually something going on that either we are trying to communicate to God or God is actually trying to communicate to us. And so we know then that communication is important to God. And we know that God has, has it all over this idea of the power of communication because of precisely the Tower of Babel. He understood how powerful good communication was. And if we can read in Genesis chapter 11, verse 5, where it says, The Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. Huh? In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. And that is why the city was called Babel, because that's where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. So you ask the, you've got to ask the question, if God is so keen to communicate with us, why did he make it so difficult? Because right here we know that communication between people became more difficult, which must have a flow-on effect. I mean, God had to learn several different languages just so that people could communicate with him. And so we, we can see that God sees the power of it, but there's also an inkling there that perhaps God wants that power used for a different purpose than we do. And it's an interesting that a similar event to this actually happens in the New Testament. We read in Acts 1 verse 8, where he tells the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people all about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So that sounds to me like an instruction uh, a sort of a plan, a vision even for what we, we should be doing when the Holy Spirit comes. Fair enough? So what happened? Well, the believers all hung around in Jerusalem, didn't they? Because they knew Jerusalem. It was nice in Jerusalem. People knew them in Jerusalem. There were more and more of them being added. And so there was comfort in numbers. But what happened in, Acts verse, in chapter 11, verse 19, it says, Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch of Syria, and so on. And so 
I don't think God sent the persecution, but he used that to actually get people off their backsides and do what he'd called them to do in the first place. The Tower of Babel, the different languages, were actually an enabling for people to scatter and cover the earth because that was what, I mean, if you're going to govern the earth, you can't do it from one tower in one city, can you? Can you? Just checking. So in both cases, God had a plan, a, a destiny, a vision for his people which had stalled. The people of God needed a wake-up call. And this tells me two things. One is that God's communication with mankind in this place that he has prepared for us is mainly to be focused on the plans and the purposes that he has for us. He doesn't want it used for frivolous tower building. The second thing is, is that he's prepared to act if we derail this communication for our own purposes. Ooh. That's, that's an uncomfortable idea to come across, isn't it? That God actually is serious about the purpose that he has for us. So what does this mean for us as 21st century Christians? We've got this, these sort of millennia of church history behind us. We've got this, this idea of what we read in the Bible, what we read in the Old Testament, have how to connect with God. We've got church tradition, which teaches us how in the past the church has connected with God, how in, you know, in our present we connect with God. So how, how do we distill this into something that's useful for us? Because I, I don't know about you, but if somebody asked me the question, how's your communication with God? I, w I think I would automatically assume that they're asking me what my personal work, walk with God is, is like. What my personal prayer time's like, how I'm, how I'm going reading the word, uh, uh, what my private worship time is, is go how it's going. Uh, would that be fair enough? But I've discovered that as we read the Bible, when we look, about, look at being in God's presence, hearing God's instruction, worshipping God, we discover that it was far more commonly a communal experience rather than an individual one. Now we read about individuals in the Bible, but if you read the accounts of the individuals, what the individuals were told by God or their communication by God was to be shared with other people. In fact, many of the passages we read, we read the English translation of the word you. Because you in the English language can mean you or it can mean you. Only in Australia and America do we actually have uh, words that, that are plural. We have yous here in Australia and y'all in America. And the thing is that most instances of the word you in the Bible should actually be yous or y'all because God is addressing communities. And often we read things and we take it personally and we think that, that we're actually being spoken to as individuals or instructed as individuals. But God's up there going, y'all, y'all, don't you get it? It's for y'all. It's not just for you and you. And we privatize and compartmentalize our, work, our walk with God and our, and our relationship with God and we cut other people out. And have you noticed that people tend to walk in all sorts of different directions in their walk with God because their only connection with other people is to tell other people what's wrong with their walk 
Now, I know none of us here have ever done that. Um, so, you know, I know I'm preaching to the choir if we had one. Um, but we need to, I think, get hold of the fact that we are called to actually act in community with a lot of God's instruction. And that the place that he has prepared for us is actually a bit... Because I, I don't know how you envisage this place. We see in the Old Testament, we know that the Garden of Eden was actually a place where heaven met earth. And we know that the, the idea of the tabernacle and the temple were places where heaven connected with earth. And, and I don't know, I, I saw a great diagram the other day which, which showed that if, if earth and heaven were two different dimensions, it's a question of the two dimensions coming together and certain places they, they overlap. And it's a bit like this place here as a church. Um, pretty sure we're on earth. But when we pray, when we, when we call on the Holy Spirit, when we, we acknowledge God's presence, what we're actually doing is breaking a dimensional barrier, if you like, and allowing heaven to actually occupy the same space as the place we occupy here on earth, which allows God to connect with us. And although he does that for individuals, he really loves it when it happens as a community. And it's a bit like... Um, you've probably seen those science experiments where they, they put iron filings on a piece of paper and then slowly bring a magnet up underneath. And you've got your iron filings scattered, pointing in all directions, but when you bring the magnet up, they all point in the direction of the magnetic field. And I believe that that's, as a community, how God wants to interact with us. The place that he has prepared for us is not just a place where we, we hang out, it's not just a place where we can tell other people, yeah, I connected with God this morning, it was really good, felt good, I, I, I really feel at peace or I, I got healing or whatever it is. It's, it's actually a place where God can align us with his plans and his purposes. And he actually doesn't align you with his plans and purposes, he, he aligns you. Y'all, us. Because we can't do it on our own. We're not created to do it on our own. We're actually created to do it together. And I believe that, you know, it's like Acts chapter 2 verse 44. It says, all the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had. They sold property and possessions, shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to the fellowship of those who were being saved. And see, there's a picture of how a group of unschooled, non, well, they were Old Testament reading, but they certainly hadn't read the New Testament. <laughs> Thanks for that agreement. <laughs> um, but they were doing what was instinctive for them, knowing God, having walked with Jesus and knowing what to do. And so I believe that we're called to actually do something similar. And so I want us to, I want us to practice that this morning. I want to get the band back up if I could. Because I believe when we embrace the community aspect of this place that God has prepared 
And I know it goes against our grain sometimes to think of this because it's nice to believe that God has prepared a place for me. That I can in my private prayer time go to this place and God and I can talk together. We can have this special relationship and and God can, can speak to me and we need that. But I don't believe it's actually the most important place that God meets us. Because I believe that that's it's a place of personal empowerment, but one person can't do much. You know, even the book of Ecclesiastes, I think, talks about how one person sort of is susceptible from behind. Two, per, two people can support each other back to back, but with three, you're almost invincible. And so this idea of working together is actually threaded throughout the Bible, if you'll pardon the pun, um, for us to get together. And so I believe that when, when we come into God's presence, when we enter that place that he has prepared for us, that as we align with what God wants for us, the plan is, if you like. And I believe that's the same with God. We are called to align himself, to align ourselves, sorry, to his purpose in community. So I want us, can we all stand please? And I just want to invite you, this is not compulsory, if you don't feel comfortable doing this, please just stay in your seats. But if you have an, an even an inkling that you would really like to hear from God, to have him align you in a, in a new way perhaps and you might think well perhaps I just want assurance that I'm going in the right direction that God wants me to or you might think well I'm not exactly sure what I'm doing perhaps God can speak to me or you might be thinking God needs to slap me up the side of the head and point me in the right direction now don't put your hand up um, but what, whatever it is if, if you would like to align yourself with God's purpose then I believe it's something we should do together. And so we, we're going to sing a song. Can't remember what it's called. Favourite favorite place. So I want you to make this altar your favourite place. And if that's you, just no matter what level of communication you're desiring from God right now, I want you to come out onto this altar. And as we sing this song, I want you to start asking God in fact don't begin to ask God just ask him once because I think our communication with God is often too wordy and often too one-sided we do a lot of the talking not much of the listening Um, and not not to not to make anyone feel bad but I think our, our connection with God needs to grow and change all the time I mean, if, if, if the way you pray to God is the same way that you prayed when you first got saved 20 years ago, then I think something needs to change. Because in our human relationships, we don't relate to each other the same way we did 20 years ago. Why should we relate to God? We need to have maturity in our prayers. You know, I, I look at major... Like... Um, 
major Protestant religions, you look, they have prayer books. Their prayers are written down. And often people still read those prayers today. And to me, that's like, okay, that's good. There was a time for that. Often it was a time when other people couldn't read, so you read the prayers out to them. It had a great effect. And these days, in Pentecostal circles at least, we, we make up our own prayers on the spot, which is really good. When we talk to God, it's good to be spontaneous. Although, can I just say I'm not a, fond, a fan of using God's name as a, as a punctuation? You know, when we pray, when we say, Dear Lord, He knows we're talking to Him. At the end of the first sentence, saying, Dear Lord, again, is unnecessary. If you've said it more than five times in a prayer then it's who who have you have why have you forgotten who you're talking to we need to make our, our, our language with God far more relational he knows we're speaking to him let's not accuse him of not paying attention by mentioning his name every five seconds or going uh God, uh, God, uh, I want God uh, to... Uh, he's not a punctuation mark. We're allowed to go um in our prayers. It's not about sounding good. It's about coming from the heart. I think if we, if we start to um too much, we're talking too much. We need to let God speak for us to listen. So I want you let's start singing that song as we sing as I said if you want a word from God a direction from God come out onto the altar let him minister to you thanks George take it away